Ladies and gentlemen, the tiny DevOps guy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Tiny DevOps. I'm your host, Jonathan Hall, and today I have with me Olaf Mollenfeld, who is the CEO, I'm sorry, CTO, and co-founder of VAMP, which has just been acquired by CircleCI. So we'll talk about that in just a minute. Olaf, welcome. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. Um, great pronunciation, by the way. <laughs> um, um, yeah, um, I have a technical background, did my share of uh, programming in the past, um, and then went more into uh, architectural uh, design role, uh, technical consultancy, and have always been kind of working on the uh, like the boundary between technology and uh, what can we, what kind of value can we get out of this new technology? And uh, also the other way around, what kind of problems do, does the business actually have that we're trying to solve? Because often people ask in solutions instead of describing their real challenges. So I try to kind of do some matchmaking there. Nice. Yeah, that, that, the famous XY problem, as we call it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. When yeah, great. So uh, today we're going to talk about uh, some. Actually, I so I, I met you on on LinkedIn. I saw uh, one of your a post that you had shared about progressive delivery, and I wanted to talk to you about that. So that's why I invited you on the show today. Um, of course, I'm sure everybody listening is familiar with the concept of continuous delivery and continuous deployment, because th those are buzzwords uh, around the entire industry. Especially if you're listening to a, a DevOps podcast, you ought to know what that means. But how is progressive delivery different? Uh, you know, what, how is it the same? How is it different? What is it? Maybe you can just start with yeah. that. Yeah, I think it's kind of like an umbrella term for a lot of uh, uh, methods and technologies to kind of control the, the, yeah, I would always say the rollout or the go live of, uh, of software because releasing and delivery and deployment are of yeah, a little bit tainted, like a lot of semantics there, but it's it's a collection of, of things like A-B testing, canary releasing, blue-green, feature flagging, uh, all these things that, that kind of give you the safety nets and, and controls to kind of reduce blast radius and, and segment uh, your software rollouts. Are there ever situations where you would say that progressive delivery is absolutely the wrong approach or the wrong tool you have these regulated industries where where there's a lot of manual uh manual steps and, and checks and balances and sign-offs and of course you can introduce like manual gates um steps in the policy but then it becomes a little bit harder uh especially to to kind of stretch it out into production maybe you can do it into like pre-prod or staging uh but but in those regulated industries uh, it becomes uh a little bit tricky. On the other hand, uh, the thing with privacy makes this an interesting case because often um, like the testing or shift left kind of movements is like, yeah, you need to kind of replicate the production environment and, and have all the data, but that's not an, an option anymore uh, when you when you are like a privacy uh, aware organization. You cannot shift production data uh, into test environments. So in that sense, it becomes maybe an advantage to start doing it into production. So it's a little bit like a double-edged sword, I think. 
So it sounds like there's always there's always trade-offs, as, as there are with practically any tool we choose to use. You know, if, yeah. if you only have a hammer and everything looks like a nail, you're going to make the wrong decision. So apply yeah. judgment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that, that's the thing. Supposing that somebody wants to start doing any of these sort of progressive delivery approaches, is there anything really easy they can do? Does GitHub Actions make it possible, or is there some off the shelf, or can they just do this with Kubernetes, or do they really need a tool? To, to do this yeah i mean there's in in the kubernetes ecosystem there's there's this uh, there's open source tools to to play around with uh, because effectively what we do is we configure ingress in a dynamic way and we use layer 7 kind of http uh, filtering so there's there's like in the ingress space there's there's tools that you can use and you can basically create these configurations by hand um, so that would be my first suggestion to play around with with what, what a typical ingress controller like Contour uh, or, or any of those or um, Envoy or whatever, uh, or maybe Service Mesh offers you to, to kind of get a feeling on how you can kind of direct traffic and, and filter uh, traffic and play around with that. Because in, in essence, it's automating that kind of thing. And then of course, there's the other way, uh, the other, aspect which is the conditions or checking for verification uh which is more like okay uh you hit like open telemetry that kind of uh, open tracing kind of area where you say okay what am i actually observing what happens if i send five percent of visitors to a new version what am i looking at what what do i want to see so but, but all those things are available to you uh, and you can play around with them. Uh, yeah, they're in the cloud native landscape. Uh, just pick one. And, you know, there's no perfect solution, never. It's just getting your hands dirty and just start playing around and get a feeling for what is possible. What what size of uh, companies do you usually see having the most success with this? Does it is it across the board or, or does it require a certain level of complexity in your organization that, that maybe you need to be a certain size before this really starts to be beneficial? That's a great question. Um, I think it makes sense all across the board. Um, obviously, when you're a smaller setup, you have more control. There's an integrated team or a few teams that have visibility on, on, on both the services, on the infrastructure and on the application performance metrics. Uh, so it makes it easier to kind of because it's it's about coordinating these things, like observing the application performance, is, and but also observing technical metrics. So it makes it a little bit easier to, easier to set it up uh, and and start doing these things. Um, because a lot of the the time it takes is not about the technical things. It's about like what kind of metrics do we actually observe, and then it's it's much more than only like uh, Kubernetes health. Or, or some kind of uh, HTTP status. It's also about uh, maybe you update service A and you want to look at an API endpoint somewhere else to see if this thing doesn't become really slow or, or break down. So you need to kind of start thinking about how you can assess the, the performance of your application landscape as an end user would, would, would kind of perceive it. And that's a, that, that takes a little bit of time because you kind of move it out of technical things that are direct in the control of the, the people, but you, you approach it a little bit more holistic. Um, on the other hand, if you do this, it's automation. Eh? You make you make data that's already there actionable in an, in an automated release pipeline. 
So if you have this in place, then scaling up uh, is much easier. Adding more services to that pipeline, uh, applying it to multiple teams, multiple environments. Uh, so for bigger organizations, it's also very valuable because it is separation of concerns. You can kind of bring in an intern or, or a new developer and he or she doesn't need to know about this, what kind of conditions to check or what kind of segmentation. Uh, you push your code through the pipeline and automatically this, this process is being applied. And, you know, so in that sense, scaling it up into a larger kind of organization also makes sense. For just a moment, would you address the listener who's maybe interested in implementing uh, canary deployments or blue-green or any of these sort of methodologies we talked about? Um, what what homework do they need to do? What metrics should they consider um, before they just run out and start implementing this? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, typically, I would say start with, with something simple, a low-risk uh, service like a, a restful service stateless because then you don't have the data kind of discussion um and and just use the the the, the metrics that are out of the box you know the the health restarts uh, http status codes uh, we collect out of the box anyway and then uh yeah go with that and, and and see how you can kind of extend your pipeline from ci into deployment into releasing and and, and just observe how it goes into production. And then you can start adding uh, more metrics to observe. It sounds like what you're saying is that the technical part is easy, that, yeah. uh, w w which I think is maybe true for most of, of DevOps, right? You know, the relatively part, easy. Relatively <laughs> easy. I mean, yeah. you, you set up a CI pipeline. The first time you do it, it's exciting. And you know, 10 years ago, the first CI pipeline, I was like, wow, you can do that. Yeah. Nowadays, it's become second nature. We can all set up a CI pipeline. The hard part is convincing your developers to use CI, to write tests, for yeah. people to actually run the tests before you merge and all these things. So it sounds like the human factor is usually uh, what you're saying. The human factor is a, a bigger part deciding yeah. what's important. I mean, I, I, worked, on a, I worked with a team uh, last year, uh, for example, where somebody asked for canary deployments, but they didn't have any concept of what are we waiting for? You know, when will we decide to release to the rest yeah. of the customers? They just wanted canary deployments because it made them feel better. Yeah, but that's that's the thing where we're discussing in the beginning, eh? like asking for solutions because this this canarying or becomes a little bit like a magic uh, silver bullet uh, snake oil kind of thing, uh, and then you need to ask like why and what is it, what are you actually trying to achieve here? And in the end, this is all about process. Because the, the the going live, that's we we make this distinction eh, between the technical deployment, which is like what your CI pipeline builds, and then you do your Helm or your kubectl or or whatever uh, deployment mechanism you're using, which is like putting that artifact on some infrastructure and do run or up or whatever you you do. Uh, but that's only one thing, and this thing is running. And but the 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 going live. It's like a process. It's like, okay, who is this first segment of visitors that we that we're gonna expose this thing to, and why this segment, and what, and why not another one? Uh, you know, are those better users or are those like low risk uh, users? And can we get the data out of uh, out of this segment? Enough data? What is this data? What what is the baseline? What are like the the, the thresholds? 
Uh, and what do we do? What's the mitigation strategy? If, it, if it's not good, do we stop? Do we roll back? What is a rollback? Is that a traffic rebalancing? Is that a stop and a redeploy? Or you know this? So you need to kind of uh, uh, think about the process. And typically, we ask like, "How do you do it right now? Uh-huh. What what kind of yeah. metrics do you observe? What what manual steps do you take?" And then the first thing is, let's automate some of these things. So I want to play the devil's advocate just a little bit here. One mm-hmm. um, one advantage that I often coach teams on uh, when, when talking about using continuous delivery or continuous deployment, one advantage I, I always tell them about is the psychological advantage that the developers feel a new responsibility when they know hitting that merge button means that their code is going to be in front of customers in 10 minutes. If we go to the, if we go to one of these, any of these, these approaches, uh, feature flags or blue green or canary deployments, and, and, and it removes the developer a little bit away from that pressure to that their code is going to be in front of customers. Like, there's still another chance to, to check this. Uh, it, it, have you, how do you address that? I think it, nothing changes. It still gets into customers. Only it doesn't get into all your customers. It, it's, you start with your low risk, risk segment. It's like A-B testing, you know? You, get, you, you create like a bucket or a segment. Say, okay, what's my most obvious user base that I want to test this release against in, in production settings uh, without affecting my entire population because maybe there's these high paying clients with you know very low risk appetite. So there's always a few people like your friends and family kind of segment where you say, okay, I did a release, I did, a, I did an update. Can you take a look if, if, if I didn't miss anything? Actually, that's kind of what it is. So you, you, you take a little piece and it's still exposed and that gives you basically the, the, uh, the freedom to kind of try it out in production environment with production data, with real visitors and users and observe how it's working before you go to the next stage. What else uh, would you like to say about progressive uh, delivery? Uh, whether it's somebody considering uh, trying it out for the first time, um, what have I failed to ask about? Yeah, I think the most important takeaway is that it, it is about the process. So it, it, yeah, in, in the cloud native space, we, we tend to focus really on the technological uh, parts of the thing and self-service and developers should be able to do everything. Uh, but I, th- I don't believe that. I think it's a, it's a shared effort between ops and, and dev and also uh, business side of things where they you think of new features and uh, and the analytics part of things where people observe actually how the platform is being used. Um, uh, and so for me, it's about how you kind of start working together between those different responsibilities, even though m- maybe in a smaller setup, these res- responsibilities are shared within uh, single roles. Um, but But yeah, think about the process and then pick the technology that fits instead of, like you say, pick some technology like cargo quilting, you know, and then, and then try to kind of apply it to something that you, yeah, that maybe doesn't really fit with your way of working. So that will be my main thing. Like, okay, try to think about how you want to work and try to also involve your non-technical coworkers. Like what do they need to do their jobs? What kind of dashboard controls, visibility do they need? Uh, 
uh, and, and how much of your task can you offload to your colleagues? Because maybe it's not technical thing. Maybe it's a, a some something for for somebody at the business side of things or analytics to control a release or configure a release. You know, you, you need to collaborate on these things and uh, and and be more like a, a enabler, facilitating these things. Yeah. So I've uh, I was recently looking at the Vamp website and. Uh, it says VAMP is a cloud-native AI ops platform. Can you explain AI ops a little bit? Yeah, then just, uh, talk to our marketing department. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, AI ops, of course, is, is, is like a buzzword a little bit. But the, the thing is, we collect a lot of data. And there is already a lot of data. And if you want to automate, uh, you need to kind of apply machine learning to it because you want to do anomaly detection and you want to uh, aggregate things and there's different types of metrics like histograms and counters and all these things. So um, the AI ops part of things is more like how can we apply intelligence and machine learning to all that data to make sense of it. And uh, then let's talk about cloud native. Um, I mean, I, I, I think I mean that's a pretty widely used term also, but um, if people are not doing a a cloud native application is vamp still going to be valuable to them um uh, we we require kubernetes uh so uh that's a that's a hard requirement currently and let's talk about this uh this this merge or this acquisition that just uh was announced uh yeah. what do you see what, what do you see coming up uh in the next maybe six to twelve months now that you're part of circle ci yeah so um a lot of exciting things of course but uh obviously the first first task to at hand is to integrate uh, the features and the technology of FAMP into the wider uh, CircleCI platform. And, and then of course also kind of integrate the vision that we have on releasing, which is not deploying, like I said, into kind of the mindset and, and the roadmap of, of where we go. Um, because it's kind of stretching, extending uh, the use cases of the platform into also other roles and, and more like towards the business uh, release management if you're like a bigger organization. Uh, so that's that's basically what we will be working on. Are you sticking around or, or are you catching yeah, yeah. out and going to the Bahamas? No, 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 we're sticking okay. around. The entire team actually, the entire team is sticking around which and we're super excited to do this. And uh, we're still in Amsterdam. Uh, Circus CI obviously is a distributed uh, global organization. And uh, so locally, we, we stay in Amsterdam, or we are also distributed in over Europe. Uh, but uh, that doesn't really change. So for people interested in learning more about progressive delivery, uh, what resources can you recommend? The original term was coined by James Governor from Redmonk. Uh, and I guess the link will show up somewhere yeah. later on. So uh, yeah, you can Google for it. And then there's, I think there's some interesting pieces from his hand uh, where you can start reading on the on the history of it. Um, basically, all over the internet, there's a lot of interesting uh, content, of course, on, on our FAMP.io website. We have all kinds of white papers and blog posts. Um, and I think also on, uh, on AWS, Amazon AWS, and on the Google website, there are some very interesting articles on uh, what kind of patterns to apply when and when not. Uh, blue green, AB, canarying, 
and we will share those links and um, people can read up but uh, there's plenty of interesting uh, stuff to be read and if people are interested of course in in hiring essentially vamp to to do the dirty work for them you can go to vamp.io and uh, look at the products and pricing and if people do want to get a hold of you uh what's the best place to to contact you that will be uh either through linkedin um or just send me an email, which is Olaf, O-L-A-F, at circleci.com. If you enjoy this content, but you don't want to wait a week for the next episode, subscribe to my daily mailing list at jhall.io daily. Thanks to Riley Day for the Tiny DevOps theme music.